We'll be reading from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we'll begin in uh, verse 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Thank you for coming to church. Appreciate all of you for being here. There's quite a bit of sickness going around. A lot of people have been busy all week with holidays. And I know some of our people still have folks in their house and they had to take this weekend to get their family together for holiday events. And we understand those things. But I'm glad that you came uh, and that you made this a point to be at church uh, today. And I know God will always bless your efforts. And for some of you, it takes more effort than others. Looking around all these kids here, it does take a lot of effort to get kids ready to come to church. We don't take that lightly when we look around and see all you families that brought your kids to church. I appreciate your effort, and I'm thankful for you. I'm glad that you're here. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Luke chapter 2, verse 21. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now in the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples to bring a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Christmas story extends well beyond the birth of Christ. It still is being told today. We thank you for what it accomplishes in our world, in our lives. 
Father, help us to see your message for us and this passage of scripture today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Personal question, do you remember when you met Jesus Christ? Do you remember that? We all go back, those who have met Jesus Christ, or remember that time and place where we met Jesus Christ and experienced him as Lord and Savior. Do you remember when you were first introduced to Christ? I don't. I grew up in church. I grew up, and from my earliest memories, I've always known who Jesus is. I've always known about the birth of Christ. I've always known about the death of Christ of Jesus on the cross. I've always known about when he rose again the third day. I've known about that from the time I can first remember things. I can remember knowing Jesus. can't remember when I was introduced to him, but I remember knowing about him. But, oh, I can remember when I met him. And there's a difference. There's a difference. But now here were two people that were introduced to Jesus Christ. And I would say these are the two most beautiful introductions, perhaps, of all history that are written down in the Bible. These two people that are introduced to Jesus Christ and introduced to him at such an early time, he was still just about a month old. We look at the occasion. Actually, there's two occasions, and they're both important. First of all, after eight days, it says, the days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, and his name was called Jesus. This ritual, of course, goes all the way back to Abraham. And from the time of Abraham's family, all the way up through that present time, the Jewish people adopted this ritual as a token of the covenant between their people and Abraham and God. God's covenant with Abraham, I'll make you a nation that will surpass the stars of the heaven. And I will bless those that bless you. Now, that was a covenant that they remembered. But the emphasis was not on the ritual. The emphasis was on the naming of the child because that always happened on the same day. Because you would take the child to the authorities for the ritual and at the same time, in the presence of the authorities, you would officially declare the baby's name. We saw that a little bit earlier with Zacharias saying the the baby's name will be called John. Now, one thing we notice is his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. Luke wants to emphasize the name of the baby was called Jesus and the name was God's choice, not Mary, not Joseph. God told Mary what to name the baby, and then, quite separately, God told Joseph what to name the baby. His name will be called Jesus. The instructions of God are now documented. Because when a baby was named in front of the authorities, that name was written on the lineage of that family. That lineage is introduced in Matthew and then later in the book of Luke. And all those names in Matthew's case from the days of Abraham through David all the way through, Jesus is added to that name. In Luke's case, it goes from Adam 
all the way through Abraham, all the way through David, all the way up to that present time. And now on the book, Jesus was written. It was official. It was documented. It was in the permanent record. This infant boy was a child of David, a son of David, a son of Abraham. And in Luke's case, he was one of us, a son of Adam. So it was documented. Then you have the ritual of the purification of Mary and the dedication of the baby. They pretty much happened together. And that's outlined in the book of Leviticus chapter 12. And that happened about 30 to 40 days after the birth of the child. That happened in the temple. And what it was was the dedication of the male, but especially there was a special ritual, a special ceremony, a dedication and a giving to God of the firstborn of every male, whether it be in your family or in your flock, you acknowledged God's hand in bringing about the next generation. And you dedicated that to the Lord. And this, of course, was the next, the next ritual, the next occasion. And they went to the temple for this. In this, we won't go to all the details, but it says in verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Well, if you understand, do your homework, there's a lot that he said in here. In Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, the prescribed offering was a lamb. And it says, if the family cannot afford a lamb, they'll give the two pigeons, the two turtle doves. What does that tell us? That told us Mary and Joseph could not afford a lamb. They were of humble circumstances. They were not economically well off. They were economically strapped. They were living out of a suitcase. They were still in Bethlehem. And we realized they were in a very difficult and trying situation. And the family that Jesus came into was a hard working family that knew what it was to have to get up and go to work every day and not have a lot to show for it because at this time they could not afford a lamb. It also shows us the obedience to Mary and Joseph to the law of God. Now this says a lot because the law of God concerning this ritual of circumcision, the law of God concerning the purification of Mary after birth and the law of God concerning, of course, the offering of the firstborn male was given 1,500 years earlier. And here's the message here that you don't want to miss. This law, these instructions, this ceremony was faithfully handed down from one generation to the next for 1,500 years. Every generation did their part and made sure they passed it along to the next generation. Now, what would have happened if somewhere in those 1,500 years, a generation came up and said, we're not doing it. 
We're not doing it. It's just not, a, it's not worth the trouble. It's a lot of trouble. Do you understand it, how hard it is to try to teach these kids anything? Do you have any idea how hard it is to be faithful to what God has asked us to do and try to teach these kids? And you have to understand, times are changing. Things have changed. Maybe this is a little bit obsolete. All it would have taken was one generation to have that idea and it had been gone. God handed it to families and to individuals. And God said, you pass it from one generation to the next and teach your children. And what that tells us here is the importance of being faithful in teaching the next generation the things of God. It's hard? Yes. Is it tedious? Of course. But it is important and it does make a difference. We have these two people. Simeon and Anna. We're introduced to Simeon, and it says concerning Simeon, there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25, and his name was Simeon. The man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I had a lot to say there. First, we, we hear he's just and devout. Now, those two words can be taken together, but I'm going to take them separately. He was just and he was devout. What's the difference? Sounds like he's just repeating himself. The fact that he was just had to do with his personal life, had to do with his attitudes, had to do with his behavior, had to do with his dealings with others, had to do with how he lived, how he acted. His private life was in accordance with God's instructions. What's this devout business? The word devout here means having to do with his worship practices, with his public life. And so a lot of times people may appear to be devout, but what if they're not just? What if their lives are not in accordance with God's will? What if they're not honest? What if they're not kind? It makes a difference, doesn't it? This man was devout in his public service, and he was just in his private lifestyle. Both of those are important. We shouldn't leave any of that. And he was a trusting man. He says this in verse 29. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. It says he had been revealed to him by the Lord that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then he says these words, according to your word. And what he said was this, you did what you said you would do. In all these years, he believed what God said. Now we can take the implication, all scholars believe that this man no doubt was an aged man by the way he talked. He was an elderly man. And for years, decades, he believed what God told him. He trusted what God told him, and he had read the promises. When you have according to your word there, that could mean, of course, what God had told him, especially through the Holy Spirit, but also it can include this, according to your word. What did God's word say? God's word said throughout all the promises of the Old Testament, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. When it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that's 
capitalize. The consolation of Israel was the term that was given to the coming Messiah. It was a common phrase among Hebrew people. He waited for the coming of the Messiah. He not only was just hoping for it, waiting expectantly, he knew it was coming. And he trusted, and he had read the promises, and he believed them. Then we have Anna. What do we know about Anna? There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, don't know who this man was, of the tribe of Asher, don't know the significance of that, but it says she was of great age. There is a significance in that. She had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about 84 years. There's some significance in that. We'll look at in a minute. But it says she did not depart from the temple. She served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What do we know about Anna? We know she was a praying woman. She prayed night and day. She talked to God. And she was a dedicated woman. She was dedicated in that that she came to the temple and faithfully served God night and day. Served God. And she prayed. Now, both of these, when you look at them together, reveal this. True dedication and trust in God will reveal itself and stand the test of time. It's easy to say some things about what we think about Jesus. It's easy to put the sticker on the car. It's easy to wear a t-shirt. But our dedication to the Lord, when it is true, will stand the test of time. I said there's a message in the fact that she was an elderly person. She was of great age. All these years, she had stayed Faithful to the Lord. All these years, this man was just and devout. You see, the real test of our devotion to Christ is not just a one-time proclamation or a real intense time of saying some things. The real test is what are we doing now, next year, next year, and the next year that will stand the test of time. It also tells us something else. Since their dedication and their reliability had stood the test of time, their witness could be trusted. He was a just man. Over the test of time, his lifestyle was one of integrity and kindness and decency. You could believe him. She was a woman of prayer and dedicated service over the years. People saw this. You could believe what she had to say. Simeon had something to say about the Lord. Anna talked about him to everybody who looked at the redemption. When people heard them talk, they knew they could believe them because of their lifestyle. Now let's look at the message in the introduction. First of all, as we look at Simeon, there is genuine peace in Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, let your, your servant depart in peace. Now, it had been revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he met the Lord's Christ. Then, as he picks that baby up, he says, let your servant depart in peace. He wasn't talking about walking out of the temple. He was talking about death. 
that event that causes fear and uncertainty and doubt throughout all of human history, as he talked about his own death, he talked about it in terms of peace. Why could he say, I can die in peace? Because he had met Jesus. Now there's a message there. Have you met Jesus? Can you say, I can die in peace? You see, the the central message of God to people when he broke 400 years of silence is one of peace. You remember Zacharias in the temple? The first words the angel said to him, fear not. You remember when the angel came to Mary? The first words he said were, fear not. When the angel came to Joseph, the first words he said, fear not. When the angel appeared himself to the shepherds, the first word he said, fear not. You see, there's genuine peace in Jesus Christ. Even the announcements of his coming, it started with peace. Jesus said it this way later on in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, I give it to you. True peace I give to you. Chapter 16, he says, these things I have spoken to you that you shall have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But I've overcome the world. You see, there's genuine peace. There's peace as we face death. But watch me. There's peace also as we face life. Sometimes life can bring us some bumps and bruises and disappointments. And through it all, Jesus Christ brings peace. Secondly, salvation has always been the central message. And we mentioned this several weeks ago. He says, I can depart in peace by eyes have seen your what? Salvation. Your salvation. Do you remember as we talked about the, the word and the, the, the hymn of Zacharias? He said, you brought a horn of salvation. You remember back when Mary sang her song, she talks about God, my Savior. You remember when the angels came to talk to the shepherds? They said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior. Not a military general, not a politician, not the next president of the Senate. He said, a Savior will be born to you. Central message is salvation. Jesus came on the scene in chapter 4, verse 18, and here's what he said to introduce himself to the people around him. He read from Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives. And the recovery of sight to the blind is set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. All that is language that was used when they were talking about the coming of the Messiah. All that is salvation language. And the central message is salvation. You remember when Jesus said this, and this is all in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10. Son of man... It's come to seek and to what? Save that which was lost. That sums up the Christmas story. He came 
so he could seek and save that which was lost. You remember when Joseph received the visit from the angel and he said, you call his name Jesus, he'll save his people from their sins. John said it this way in chapter 1, verse 21. As many as received him to them, he gave the power to become the sons of God. Salvation, the central message throughout the beginning of the Christmas story all the way through the Gospels. And this is important. Don't miss this. This message is for everybody. This was quite radical for Simeon to say these things, even though it is in the scriptures of the Old Testament. He said, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to who? The Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. At that time, Hebrew leaders had the idea that the Gentiles were good for nothing. That's the non-Jewish people, but to stoke the fires of hell. They had no desire to see a Gentile saved. And Simeon comes on board and he says, I've seen your salvation, a light to lighten or enlighten the Gentiles. That was radical. That was something that Jewish leaders would find unheard of. But why would they do that? Because this was not something that was new. Simeon was simply repeating what he had known from God's word. Turn back to the book of Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. Verse 6. It's 700 years before. This is one of the major prophets. It's one of the most revered prophets. His word was established as being true. He was recognized as a true prophet from God. And in the mouth, in the pen's word of this prophet, he says this. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. If you'll turn over just about a page or two to chapter 49, verse 6. Chapter 49, verse 6. Indeed, he says, it is a small, too small thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to what? The ends of the earth. Not the borders of Israel. The ends of the earth. The, the furthest extent that we can go. That would be the salvation that he offers. One more. Chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and 
Gentiles will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Was there any doubt as you read through the book of Isaiah who is eligible for the message of salvation? Everybody. That's what sets Christianity apart from any other religion. Any other religion is rather exclusive. Christianity wants to reach everybody with the good news of salvation. And everybody, regardless if they are like us or if they even do like us, we reach everyone with the gospel of Christ. It's intended for everyone. So when Jesus came on the scene and said, you'll be witnesses to me to the uttermost parts of the world, the disciples found that a little new. In fact, had a little problem with it when the Gentiles started coming to the Lord. But if they had just studied their Bible, they would have known that was God's intention all the while. Salvation is for everybody. This message is for all. But also... We have this that's mentioned here, and that's the importance of church. Mary and Joseph came where when they were supposed to be there? To the temple. When they needed to be there on that 31st day or so, they were there. They came to church. But let's look at the other two. Where was Simeon introduced to Jesus? In the temple. Or we say it in our word, he went in church. Where was he introduced to Jesus? He was in church. Where did he first hear the promises concerning the coming Messiah? He was in church. That's where he heard it. He either heard it there in the temple or in the synagogue somewhere. Where did he hear the scriptures? The church. That's where he heard them. His church, which would be the synagogue or the temple, that's where he heard it. Where did Anna find fulfillment of all those promises? That she had been serving God day and night for 84 years. Where did she find that peace and that fulfillment? She was in church. That's where she found it. Now, I know you can say, well, you don't have to be in church to pray. I know that. And I hope you pray somewhere else and then I pray somewhere else. Well, you don't have to be in church to work for Jesus. I know that. However, on God's assigned day of worship, this is where he wants us to be. And when it comes to receiving Jesus, yes, we can be saved anytime, anywhere. But who has faithfully preserved that message through the generations? The church has. And that message was delivered to the church. And somebody might say, well, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. What about Billy Graham? What about those big stadiums? That wasn't church, and people came to know the Lord by the thousands. Exactly. But who ordained Billy Graham to preach the message? The church. And who sponsored the crusades? The church. And did you know as people came to, to that altar, and the counselor was talked to them, and they accepted Christ, you know what they would tell them? Now you go and find a church. What about the Gideons? Well, they spread the Bible all over the world, but, but they will tell you, you know who sponsors us and sends us? The church. What about the Wycliffe translators? Well, the church sponsors 
And who has preserved the message through the years for them to translate? The church. You see, Anna and Simeon never gave up on the church. We find them in God's house. Anna had had a tough go of it. She had just been married for seven years and her husband died. She had been a widow for the rest of that time. All that time. Bad time. Probably some hard times. She never gave up on the church. And there's Simeon. All the times he had heard of those promises and year after year after year, he, he never saw it. But he kept coming. He kept coming. So we realize both of these didn't give up on the church in the bad times. Sometimes that derails some folks. They'll be faithful until something happens. They're so disillusioned or disappointed or angry at God, they'll just give up on church. But usually it's more common that people give up on church during the good times. Things get to going good. Life gets busy. We get all distracted. Church gets put on the shelf. You see, these two tell us of the importance of church in our lives. Now, if you're seeking God's will this year, what's God want me to do this year? First and foremost, I can tell you, God wants you to be saved. The core message is salvation. 1 Timothy chapter 2 talks about God who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God wants you to be saved so much Jesus paid that price. He has an intense desire for you to know him. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 he says that God is not willing that any should perish but to all that should come to repentance. He's not willing that any should perish that all should come to repentance. If you're under the sound of my voice, let me tell you, it's God's will that you accept Christ and be saved and that you meet Jesus. And what's God's will of concerning my life? I don't know of his specific will. He calls some into the ministry, some into the mission field, some into some specific things, but I do know this. It is God's will for us to be a consistent and functioning member of the body of Christ. I can say that with all confidence and authority of the scriptures. It is God's will if I'm going to serve him faithfully to serve him through faithful and consistent service within a church somewhere. That's God's will. That's unmistakable. I don't know what God has for your life through the upcoming year. These two things are very real and I hope they're reality in your world but we don't find peace until we truly meet Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask we stand and sing what number? Number 121. 121. I think we all know what to do.